I'm Jess O'Cullaghan and welcome to the Audiocraft podcast. This season was produced and recorded on the lands of the Darug people and on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. In this feed, you'll find all the recordings from the 2020 Audiocraft Podcast Festival, so you can relive your favourite sessions and give the wisdom shared by your audio idols a closer listen. To kick off the day, we had the pleasure of hearing from someone who we've hoped to bring home to Australia for a really long time. And it was just as good to hear from her online this year. Wendy Zuckerman is the stigma-breaking science journalist and host of Gimlet Media's chart-topping podcast, Science Versus. Science Versus is your team of friendly fact-checkers. They blow up your firmly held beliefs and replace them with science. But in early 2020, firmly held opinions about COVID-19 were developing quickly. Quicker than science itself. The show's eighth season was all about the facts of COVID-19. In this talk, you're going to hear how Wendy Zuckerman approached reporting the show's highest stakes story yet. The New York Times described it as one of the top podcasts of the pandemic era. Here's Wendy. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm so excited um, to be presenting uh, here. I was also, I was even more excited about doing it in Australia and being home um, and giving hugs to um, everyone who um, I know and love, but obviously hugs are way off the table and so is um, a trip to Australia. Um, so I'm saying hello from, uh, from New York City. So I'm going to be talking about how uh, to report science, um, how to make a podcast about a pandemic while in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and I know a lot of people listening have probably been reporting on the uh, coronavirus or they're not reporting at all on the coronavirus. Um, but I think a lot of the tips the things that I've learned actually just in the last few months about, um, about this virus and about just like reporting science that is continually moving um, and reporting uh, and do it, making a podcast quickly has just taught me a lot. Um, so I wanted to share some of that uh, with you today. Um, just a little bit of history about Science Versus. Uh, so uh, for those who don't know, um, and um, I think Jess mentioned it, I, I started at, at the ABC making Science Versus uh, with Caitlin Sawyer, my editor, back when um, I, Science Versus was part of the like new run of podcasts where it was this crazy idea to make a radio thing, but not for the radio, for the internet. Um, and it was really exciting to be part of that, like, whoa, let's give it a go. Um, and then, so I did one season with the ABC and then Gimlet, um, which was a startup back then over in New York City, um, heard the show, loved it, invited me to come to New York City. Um, and so I've been making the show for Gimlet ever since. And then um, I guess late last year, Gimlet was bought by Spotify. Um, so now we're part of that family. Um, and as you can kind of see from the, in the right of your screen, um, that's kind of a screenshot of like the Spotify browsing podcasts and you can see the little science versus logo and the COVID guide, um, which is just like a nice reflection of how, how useful it is to be part of a, a big family like Spotify um, when you want people to, to know your work. Uh, but that's just um, some, um, what's the word for that? I guess like in, insider nonsense. Um, but that's, that's who, who science versus is. Um, and as, uh, as Jess mentioned, um, the whole show is about um, taking things that you care about and then looking at the science of them, but trying to do it in a in a fun way that that doesn't feel like homework. Um, and kind of my the the best thing that anyone can tell me about the show is 
I, I thought I didn't like science and then I listened to your show and, I, and I'm into it. Um, and every now and then we get that and that puts a smile on my face. Um, so this is our team at Science Versus. Uh, I know um, for those who listen, um, you'll, you'll hear my voice. I'm the one that gets to do these amazing um, conferences. Uh, but I think it's just so important to, to show the people who are really behind the podcast. Um, and it is this amazing team. They're the ones who are sort of driving down the facts, you know, particularly when it comes to making this coronavirus and this series about the coronavirus. I'll get into the details on that. But, you know, it, it was really this team that was up until midnight so often just like driving down every single fact. I don't know if you can say that, Wendy. And we're like, cut it, cut it. You know, it's this, it's this amazing team. Um, and, it, and it really does take a, a super collaborative and, and, and wonderful team to, to make a, a show um, that you're proud of. So it, it was kind of nice to hear that, I guess, most people listening are in, in a bit of a team environment and I think it, it's to make a show to have a, an honest team that can say you know this isn't working whether it's the facts whether it's the tension whether it's something else is is so important um so so last season this team of champions um created more than 20 episodes about the coronavirus and um how did we do it uh first I just want to brag a little uh so as um Jess just took, took everything. I should have just let Jess do the show. Um, so we, we've had a lot of really lovely press um, as, a, as a result of our reporting on the coronavirus. And I think this reflects both um, the show that over the last four or five years, um, we've really, we, we really put science and facts first. Like that is the most important thing um, to the show. It's the DNA of the show. Um, you know, there are a lot of amazing podcasts that kind of are sciencey, but really like story is at the center of them. You know, I'm thinking of, of something like you know, perhaps Invisibilia or Radiolab or something. You know, story is at the heart of those podcasts, whereas science is at the heart of ours. And, and, as a science journalist, I've been a science journalist for quite a while. Um, it's funny because most of the time in my career, you're basically like begging for people to care about science. You're like, care about this, this little bug that's just been discovered in, you know, South Australia and will probably go extinct before we know anything about it. Care about climate change, care. Um, but over the last few months, you know, science has been at the front and centre of, of so many people's minds. We didn't have to beg for anyone to care. Like people were like, what is going on? Like, well, how do I keep myself and my family safe? Do I need to be as worried about this as, as, as you know, my neighbor is telling me? Um, and so I think this, this, all this press is kind of probably more a reflection of, of those times. Okay, so with that out of the way, um, now it's time to make some audio. So, so step one to making um, a Science Versus episode um, at all times, but I think we really honed this through the coronavirus, was obviously we have to pick a topic and then the, the question is how. So picking a topic in the middle of a coronavirus uh, outbreak is is kind of interesting because there's so many topics that are all coming up at once. And uh, as anyone who's in radio knows, like you just can't pump that stuff out as fast as print. Like we can't beat print. Our episodes have, you know, three to four experts, sometimes a character. We're trying to build tension. Um, you know, we're doing hour long interviews if we could get them. Um, you know, you, you can't pump that out as quickly as people wanted the facts. So it was really a question of, okay, what's the, what's the question on people's minds this week um, that we need to tackle? And so if you think about um, an episode uh, as a pie, these, these three um, things on, on the slide are like our, our main um, 
our, our main like ingredients of the pie. Totally forgot my analogy. Um, so the question one is stakes. Does this issue have stakes? Um, and I guess like that comes up a lot because, you know, right now with the coronavirus, but just with the internet, people believe a lot of crap, like a lot of crap. You know it, I know it. So the question is like, does it matter? Like sometimes it's okay. Like you're like, fine, just you do you. Um, but but sometimes it really does matter. And then we do need to tackle it. And so the first the first question we would always ask ourselves is like, is this is this important? Does it does it rise to the level of importance? Um, and I'm gonna I've got some case um, studies just coming up in the next slides that I'll dive into this a little deeper. All right, the next question is: Is the science interesting or surprising? And that I'm thinking of. I mean, I've been a science journalist for like over ten years, so like, is it interesting or surprising to me? And then, but sometimes we're also just thinking: Would this be surprising to someone who's just like science curious, who's never? really delved into it because everyone has intuition about things and so sometimes we'd be like this is a high stakes issue but like you know the science is not surprising one case in point would be like when trump recommended that people like put uv light into their blood or something like that and it was like yes the stakes are very high like do not inject uv light into your blood um is it surprising that that's a bad idea probably everyone listening is not surprised by that. So that's not a great topic for us. And then finally, um, what's already been said about it? If we stick with that example, you know, immediately, as soon as he said whatever the details of it were, people were like, don't do it. This is nonsense. Like everyone across, the, I'm sure even Fox News was like, probably not a good idea. So for all those reasons, we did not cover that. Um, so now let's go into our case studies. So one question that kind of came up was, was the coronavirus made in a lab? So this was a, a topic that, you know, from early March, we had started hearing whispers of this conspiracy theory. For, for scientists, it was very, for scientists who know um, this area, it was very clear that this virus came um, originally from bats, even if there was an intermediate animal or animals. Um, the idea of a virus like coming from animals, not a surprise. Like there was nothing that, that like no need for any conspiracy theory. So I just was like, yeah, we got this. We, we know about this. Um, but that didn't mean the internet didn't have its own ideas about what was going on. So first question, stakes. Um, you know, at first, like, we weren't sure the stakes were high enough. I, I've got to be honest with you, because it, it read a little like just another dumb thing online. Um, but then um, we a, a big survey was done by the Pew Research Center um, that found that something like three in 10 Americans who uh, they had surveyed believed that the virus was either made in a lab or accidentally released in a lab. Um, and so we were like, oh, okay, well, this is quite big. Then we started seeing some fallout from this. Um, and I'm talking about like increased violence against Asian Americans um, because once you have intention behind releasing this virus, um, then you have a bad guy and then you can start blaming people. So suddenly we did have stakes. Then the question was, is the, is the science interesting or surprising? As I would mentioned to researchers, the general premise of this coronavirus is not that surprising. Um, but then when I actually started looking into, it was me and, and my producer, Rose Rimler, we started diving into how scientists know specifically that this 
virus was not released in a lab. So it wasn't just that, like, we know viruses come from animals all the time, blah, blah, blah. Actually, they could dive into the genetics of this virus, analyze it and say, like, oh, this code, scientists didn't make it. And the details of how they were able to do that was super interesting. I was interested in that, like, you know, I, I told my partner, I was like, you know, they do this. He was just like, this was just, it was just crazy that they could do that. So all of a sudden we had stakes, we had surprising science. Finally, what's already been said on it? Back in March, there was like legitimate news outlets. Um, and I've got some of the headlines up here that were, had these headlines that were suggesting that this really could have been either made in a lab or released in a lab. Um, so like we've got CNN there, US explores possibility that coronavirus spread started in Chinese lab, not a market. Um, NPR was reporting the same thing. There were like pol Republican politicians that were tweeting like, I've got intelligence that this came from a lab. So for someone who's not so deep in the research, all of a sudden it was like, oh shit, like you could easily be sucked into this. Like, cause that's weird. If like a politician has intelligence that this was made in a lab, like all of a sudden you could be reeling in like people who just want to know the facts to this huge conspiracy theory. And so that all meant, yes, this is an episode. And we did it. And it was one of our most popular. Um, Okay, then we go to another uh, case study is does quarantine give you weird dreams? So um, I guess for in New York City, we were in quarantine. We were in pretty strict quarantine, kind of what Melbourne's in now. Um, actually, I, Melbourne might even be more strict, but for several months, um, I didn't really leave the house um, except to go shopping. And I did start to get weird dreams and some um, some of the other people working at Gimlet um, like sort of slacked me and were like, I'm getting these weird dreams, like what's going on there? You know, maybe it's a fun episode. And so I asked our intern, um, Sinduja Srinivasan, to look into it. And this is when you think about the stakes and you're like, like, I mean, I was a bit curious, like why I was getting these weird dreams that I didn't have before, but like it doesn't really matter does I mean it's not I, no one's no one's gonna live or die based on like why I have weird dreams so the stakes the stakes are low but that doesn't mean the episode is is dead in the water next interesting surprising science so if you think to yourself now um like why do you think you would get weird dreams when you're stuck in quarantine I'll just give you like three seconds just like think of like two or three reasons do, 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 do. Okay. Um, the ones that science had kind of come up with were, uh, one, you're sleeping longer, so you might just be having more dreams generally. Um, the second one is that it's a very stressful time. Um, so just stress generally. Um, in the little dream research that we have, um, stress generally can affect, affect your dreams. And then um, the final one that is when you're living in a closed environment, there's some weird research from the 70s to suggest that like an enclosed space can affect your dreams. We don't really know why. And maybe as you were thinking, like maybe you came up with one or two of those, maybe one of them would be like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but nothing's like, whoa, that's, I didn't know that could be right. Um, nothing kind of reaches that level, but it's still, no, it's like maybe almost interesting enough, you know. Um, 
And then the final thing was what's already been said about it. The few articles that had already been written about this phenomena that, that seemed to be happening um, basically or had already outlined those three arguments already. So for anyone who was really curious about these weird dreams that they might have been having, they could easily find the answer. Um, and so for all those reasons, we didn't end up doing that episode. And so lucky for you, you never got to hear my dreams um, on the on the podcast, which is just always a terrible story. Other people's dreams. Um, okay, so once we have our topic, the next step is research. And in the middle of this pandemic, um, and even today, research was its own um, challenge, I think is the nice word for it. So generally speaking, um, as someone who's reporting on science, um, I think this has kind of become common knowledge. So sorry if um, this is a little too uh, a little too basic, but I'll just quickly run through the kind of principles of peer review research. Um, sexiest thing I've ever said today. Uh, but so so basically, peer, as a science journalist, peer reviewed research is your bread and butter. This is when a group of scientists uh, you know, complete a study in a lab. They write up their paper and then they send it to um, a journal. And then the editor of that journal then reaches out to several, you know, maybe three, sometimes more um, other scientists to say, hey, can you read this paper and tell me if you think it's good, if it's a good science? And the scientists will, you know, read the paper. They'll say, no, this, this is rubbish. Like, don't publish this in your journal. Or they'll say, no, I think this is good science. Um, there might be some back and forth on it. And then it gets published. And so as a science journalist, um, and even if you're not a science journalist, but you're reporting on science, like if you, or like a cool discovery, if you've got yourself a peer reviewed paper, then you can, and under most circumstances, you can kind of pat yourself on the head and be like, okay, it's not just these scientists who are saying this research is cool. It's like the people who peer reviewed it as well. Um, so you can like kind of be confident that you can report on this um, and, it, and it's good science um, generally. Now, what was happening in this pandemic is, as you can imagine, that process of like contacting a bunch of other scientists to then review papers, to then go back, and that, that takes time. It takes months, sometimes years of like, you know, um, my parents are academics and like, you know, it's, it's funny, like they'll be, you know, they'll be waiting. Oh, it's in review. This could take forever. Sometimes they're the ones who are reviewing the papers and they're like, I remember growing up and they would just be like, all right, after dinner, I better review that paper. I mean, that's the situation. So you're waiting for scientists to, to read these papers. And, um, in the middle of a, of a pandemic, um, researchers who are researching the coronavirus, I mean, some of them are working crazy hours trying to understand this virus in their own labs, let alone then having time to like go and review other people's work. So what started happening is, is scientists just started like doing research in the lab, typing it up super quickly, and then just shoving it online on these servers called preprints. And that then kind of became what we almost had to use because if you wanted to be answering questions like, how long does the virus survive on surfaces? Can it survive in the air? Um, you couldn't wait for peer-reviewed research because we literally would have nothing to report on. Um, and so we'd have to start going to the preprints, but always with a grain of salt that's like this is literally just one group of scientists. And so sometimes we would send the peer-reviewed research to a different scientist or sometimes we do tier three, um, which is where we would do surveys. So, for example, if the, if the question was something like, you know, do you think this can survive 
um, for seven hours on plastic, whatever it was. Um, you know, we would we would survey a bunch of other academics to basically like faux peer review. Um, other things we would do is uh, contact doctors. So, for example, um, there was, I, I don't know if you remember or if it was a big thing in America, but early on in the pandemic, the, the French minister tweeted out, like, if you've got the coronavirus, do not take ibuprofen. And it was just like a tweet, which is mad. And then the entire internet broke because everyone has ibuprofen in their cupboard and or many people have ibuprofen in their cupboard and often don't think about it. If you've got a little fever, you might take it. And so the idea that all of a sudden that might make coronavirus worse just people broke the internet. And so we were like, okay, we better cover this. Um, there was very little, very little evidence either way on what was going on. We emailed the French minister, did not hold our breath and did not hear back. Um, and so in that case, what we basically had to do was um, contact a bunch of doctors in China who at that point had had the most experience with the virus and just said, you, you know, are you, what are you seeing with patients that you give ibuprofen to? Um, and so it was really a matter of like just trying to be creative and trying to like just question what was what was going on at every time. Does this make sense? Do you know, do we need to say we don't really know or, or actually are we okay if like all of our researchers were like, we're pretty sure this is happening. So um, and then this slide is basically a, a message to say, you know, but in a pandemic, like things can change. So so that top tier, that beautiful peer-reviewed research that you can pat your, you know, your back as a journalist and say, I'm okay to report this. All of a sudden there was, I mean, this is three examples of um, of articles that got retracted, that basically they were published, went through peer review, and then once they were out in the world and people reported on them, then all of a sudden other scientists were like, whoa, I, I don't think this is very good um, or something's up with the data. And, and these, these were published. I mean, The Lancet is a really good journal. Um, so it just, it just went to say, I guess it just goes to say that um, reporting on science in a pandemic is tricky. Um, but, uh, but I guess if you just try and, uh, try and use as many different sources as you can, um, you know, mostly, you know, you, and, and you, you're careful and try not to be too confident. Um, I, I think you can thread that needle, uh, which hopefully we did. Okay, so step three um, is time to do your interviews. Um, obviously, in a pandemic, uh, or I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but uh, there was no time for pre-interviews. Um, so normally on Science Versus, on, on, most, um, on most shows, you, you might interview a couple of um for us, it would be academics, but, you know, if you're making a different kind of show, you, you interview a couple of different characters, see who's your favourite, um, who's got the best story, who's the best storyteller. Uh, at the height of the, like, when thing, uh, you know, in America, particularly in New York, I think we hit our peak or our first peak um, in April, like, there was no time for pre-interviews. Doctors were super, super busy. I was um, interviewing one guy who was like obviously talking to me like this and then was like checking his emails and was I think just answering the emails of other media people while we were on the phone and I don't think he understood that it was radio and I was like no I need I need like passion in your voice I need like don't just give me like lines like I need you know and it was it, so you know that that is something that I think I'll take with me for for future reporting that like 
I don't think in the past I would have told a, a, a scientist or a, an interviewee like this is what this is what I need. This is because some of them didn't know what a podcast was. Some of them thought we were doing like five minute news reporting. But just to be really upfront, like you know, I'm gonna need. 20 minutes of your time. We're going to go deeper than what some other places might go. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, and then, and if they don't have 20 minutes, then to try and work that out. So you don't just have like a half-hearted interview. Um, you know, I had, you know, in one interview, a, a, a guy was peeing, a scientist from Harvard was peeing on the phone and we were like, what's that? And he was just like, oh, I don't, don't, don't worry about that. Um, so, you know, that, that was like the level at which, you know, on one hand, you're kind of grateful that, um, that people have the time and are interested in talking to the press. On the other hand, um, it was it was it was it could be difficult to get the, the good tape that you needed, which kind of takes us to the me to the final um, point on this slide, which is knowing in advance what is the tape that you need to get. Now, this is something that's um, super important at all times, no matter what kind of interview you're doing, um, whether it's, you know, reporting on the coronavirus, whether it's like someone's beautiful, heartfelt story about the love of their life, um, you know, falling in love with a bear, like whatever it is, you, you, you know, you really need to know what tape you're going to get, what kind of tape you're going to get going in, the, the, whether it's the beginning, middle of the end of the story. Um, for me, when it comes to interviewing a scientist, if I'm interviewing them about a, um, an experiment that they did, for example, you know, I need to know the details of that experiment, how, you know, the fun, the weird, um, you know, how they felt when they got the results, where were they, what was the weather outside, were you drinking a coffee, you know, did your lab student run in and say, oh, Mary, we've, we've done it, you know, I need to know all those details and then I need to know the, like, what does this mean? Um, and I think it's, you know, otherwise as a, as a journalist, if you're just like going in and having a chat with someone, you're just kind of fishing. And I, I think in, a, in, a, in some ways you're kind of, you're wasting their time and you're wasting your time. Like if you don't know the thread of the story that you want to tell, um, and, and that's not to say that if they say something super surprising, you don't run with it, but you need to have like in your head, like what we call on the show, the must gets, do not leave this interview without. And when it came to the pandemic, there were a few must-gets that were for every interview that, that are unique to this situation. And one was we needed a grab about uncertainty. So sometimes we would have these, these good, uh, you know, good talkers on the show who would be like, say, with ibuprofen, no, there's no evidence ibuprofen's bad, don't worry about it, take it, take it, whatever you want. Now, in the end, I should say they all said that you should take Panadol instead because it's safer. That's acetaminophen. I've, been in America too long, so I forget Tylenol. But anyway, the point is, if you get a, a scientist who's like, who's, you know, very strong on it, what we were finding is that sometimes between the interviews, even if it was like one day or two days, the science would change in the middle. Like, I, I guess you can't say the science changes so quickly, but a paper would come out that would turn it on its head. And sometimes we wouldn't have time to get new tape. And so we always needed a grab that was like, we're living in uncertain times. This is a moving beast. You know, this is, uh, you know, I would say based on the evidence we have now, this is what I think, but who, you know, this could change. Something, you just needed something like that. And then we needed certainty about the uncertainty. Okay, what does this mean? Uh, this is like you need to give people, a, people listening, the audience, it's something to a way to deal with that uncertainty because so much of the frustration, particularly at the beginning um, around this this coronavirus, and I think 
still still because there's still these like fundamental questions we're still waiting for science to answer it was just like so if you have an, an answer that's like we don't know science doesn't know SARS um you can't end an episode like that it's just like deeply I mean you can maybe like if there's you just can't end an episode like that so so what we were um what we were finding is that we needed to ask a scientist like can you give me like how should I feel about this so like with ibuprofen if we don't know yet how should we feel what should we do in this in these times and then that the take that we got was like well instead if you have a fever that's low try to write it out or they said you know use Panadol instead and so that's like a satisfying answer for um for someone listening despite the science being uncertain and then the final thing is just to keep in mind the emotion that you might need in a in an interview so if it's um Sometimes scientists um, and, and anyone you're interviewing, you know, can be pretty flatline. Um, but if you're talking about something that you know will be passionate, the, the audience might hit, uh, you might hit the audience in like a really tough time for them. Um, you want to make sure that you get a little bit of empathy from from the researcher. You know, c can you imagine how this might feel for a listener? Questions, questions around that. Um, and then I, I think we're getting some good questions. So I'll, um, I'll move through these a little quickly. Um, okay, so then you've done all the interviews, select the best tape you've got. Um, this is something that I think a lot of uh, podcasters starting out, this is a trick that I think has really actually helped me um, is when as soon as I finish an interview or, or, you know, me and the team finish an interview, we'll just be like, what was our favorite bits of tape? Like before I listen to anything, what's that piece of tape that I'm going to run to my friend and be like, oh, my God, you know, she said this on mic. Like what are those bits of tape? And then can I put those bits of tape in a story already, like before I listen to anything? And just like having that as a rubric because sometimes you can just like fall into your tape and like forget what, you know, forget everything about what you were doing or what was the point of the interview. But just like having those touchstones of like this was my favourite bit of tape has, has really helped me kind of work quickly. Um, and it might help you even if you're, even if you have a longer timeline. Um, okay. And then sort of the final step, once we have kind of our episode looking in, in pretty good shape is there's five questions that um, me and my editor Blythe Terrell kind of tend to ask ourselves um, as we're kind of go, getting into the, the final stages of, of publishing. Um, one is, have we laid out the stakes of this episode? Um, so like, you know, have we built tension at the beginning? Is it, have we explained why knowing the answer to this question is important? Um, second one, is the science clear and accurate is, you know, pretty, pretty obvious, I guess, but, um, for, for our show, that's kind of the, the, the key. Um, and the accuracy is really, really the key. Um, all right. This is a really important one. Actually, it was, uh, are we having fun and in the right moments? And it fits into point number two, point number four, sorry, which is have we considered our privilege? So at Science Versus, we all had a job, obviously, um, and no one that we loved, I'm literally going to knock on wood, um, was, it was sick, was sick in a bad way. I have friends who have had COVID, um, but it, you know, generally speaking, no one's had to go to hospital. No, no, no one on the team had someone they loved who had to go to hospital. And so we stood, even though there was um, tragedy all around and particularly in the peak living in New York, tragedy all around us, we personally were not affected. And so it was quite easy for us to try and make people laugh in the spirit of like, 
you know, these, these are hard times. We might have had the right spirit, but we had to keep our privilege in check because some people, you know, might not, might not be in the same place that we are. And then are we having fun in the right moments fits into that. So I think as a general rule, we found that on the show, like we could have fun when we're talking about like nerding out on the science, like nerding out on like how a virus works and how it like breaks into a cell and like how it causes damage. And like, we could have fun with that. But anytime we were talking about like a symptom, anytime we were talking about something that might be someone's grandmother or grandfather, then we have to be like super careful. And so the big question is like, what are you having fun at? Who are you having fun at? Um, and then the final one of, of just how will people hear this science? What, what will they do once they listen to it? Um, and is that the right thing that you want them to do? And I, I think probably our masks episode was like, that was a, a really tough one to do because at the time, I think there's better science now, but at the time there wasn't great evidence suggest, to suggest that using a mask could help. Um, and then, but, and there were some concerns, blah, 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 but we still very much wanted people to be wearing masks because the risk seemed very low. Um, it's a pain in the ass to wear one, but like, you know, and, and another risk was that people might be more, um, uh, willy nilly and like start chatting to their friends with the, with a mask over their face. Um, but so we, so the message we wanted people to hear was like, wear a mask, but still be careful. Um, despite, you know, sort of the uncertainties there. So just kind of thinking about those questions. Um, and then finally, we added this little segment um, called NCVC, which was non-coronavirus content. Um, and that was basically just this where we talked about, like, why it smells nice after it rains and, like, mice that live at very high altitudes. And, and that was just a and that was just to give our audience this sense that, like, there are other things, there are beautiful things happening in the world, um, and it's not all coronavirus. Um, and finally, you publish. And um, for anyone who's making a podcast right now, anyone who's making any content right now, um, it, it's hard because uh, social media sucks. Uh, and so I think it's just, like, important to remember um, that if you're proud of what you've created, um, don't worry about the twats on social media. Like, just don't worry because they, like, so many of them just shoot off some nonsense and they don't even think twice and, you know, just feel confident in who you are and your work. Um, and now we've got the questions. Um, all right. So uh, it sounds like we've got quite a lot of questions on retractions coming through. Um, so if uh, if we've used a source in a show that has been retracted, um, how do we approach that um, to our audience? So we have not used, we did not use any information that has been retracted. One of those um, papers that had was one about masks. Um, that was that was actually available when we were doing our episode and we picked up that it was crap like we um you could just tell that the data was really weird and inconsistent the um conclusions were very strong based on kind of crappy data and we uh, we must have spent i don't we we spent a long time discussing it because it was there was so little information about masks and this coronavirus um, that this was one paper that we had that we were like, I guess we should mention it, but 
what would we even say about it? This paper so so crap. So in the end, we didn't. And then um, several months later, it was retracted. So we felt kind of good about that. Generally speaking, on the show, if we get the science wrong, then we tell the audience. Um, so it depends how bad our mistake is. So we haven't had, um, we let's see, we one thing we did we got a um, we got the death toll in Hong Kong wrong. Um, early on where I think we had said three people died when four people died. Um, it was just one of those like too many things going on, reading the wrong column of like today's total, full total. Ah, um, We picked it up within 24 hours, fixed the script and then said like note, like this has been changed. And in that case, we didn't feel like in the following episode, we needed to be like, by the way, we got this wrong because like the general premise of what we were saying didn't change by that tiny error. Although we obviously wanted it right on the record. In other examples, so for example, we did our, um, an episode on exercise um, and like what it's good for, what it's not good for. And that is probably the worst mistake we've ever made on the show. Um, and that was my baby. Um, and we were doing we were doing uh, something on depression or whether exercise could help with depression. And I missed two or three paper, new papers that came out that actually changed the conclusions that we had said. And in that case, um, so we went from like, there's not great evidence that it helps with depression to actually we think there is okay evidence that this helps with depression. Um, we were careful in both cases with the language, but it was a different conclusion. And in that case, we obviously fixed the original episode and then in the in the following, in like actually in an episode if people were like watching the show, like sorry, listening to the show, then we were like, by the way, we made this error, please go back and listen. We also had like a huge mea culpa on um, Instagram um, to say like we got this wrong, like this is important that you know. Um, but I think it is just really important um, that people are okay with, you know, we do, we do our best and we really want to get it right. But like, if we do get it wrong, we need to tell people. Um, all right. Our other question is, um, it can be hard to get emotion and fun. And what does this all mean from scientists slash academics? What are your strategies uh, for getting this from your interviewees? Um, is pre-interviewing often key to your show? Um, yes. Pre-interviewing is often incredibly key to the show. Um, that's how we pick the, the best talent, basically, um, and the best academics and who, who's got a cool story. So often I'll interview, I mean, it depends on the, on the episode, but there are times when I might interview maybe 10 academics and then pick the top three that might partly be based on like who's got the coolest research, funnest story, um, that, that sort of thing. So, yes, it, it, it is key um, pre-interviewing. Um, strategies for getting good tape from when you can't pre-interview and you're stuck with whoever you're interviewing. Um, so there's a couple of, of little tricks. Um, one is, a, you know, one is make sure you're at the, at the energy level and the, and the, you're bringing the style of the answers that you want. So for example, on our show, we want relaxed. We want academics to be like, um, to be making jokes, to be like having fun with us, to be like as if they were talking to someone in the pub. And so that means when I'm interviewing, I have to bring that. I have to be like, what's this? Wait, I don't get it. What? No, I still don't get it. Sorry. 
you know, if I'm like formal and, and like this, then I'm going to get formal responses. If I use fancy science language, they're going to use fancy science language. And I don't want fancy science language. So making sure that you're mirroring what you want. If you want an emotional interview, then you bring emotion. You know, that I think that, that's really key because people will kind of follow your cues. Um, and then the other one, if that doesn't work, is literally saying like, what would you tell a man at a pub? You've just downed two beers. Like how would you explain it to like, you know, Jenny, who's sitting right next to you. Um, one that doesn't really work, but is like one that's in the arsenal is like, how would you explain it to like a three-year-old child? This never, I, I don't know. I've, I've started going with like someone who's like in year seven. Cause like, I feel like three-year-old, they're just like, oh, what does, I don't know. Um, but like, for some reason, uh, if they're like, is like year seven sometimes works. Um, what uh, what have you found is the difference between podcasting for the ABC, public radio, um, and the startup world at Gimlet? Um, so one of the big things for me uh, was was resources. So um, at the ABC, you know, we were just starting out podcasting, and so it was basically just me making science verses, and then Caitlin Sorry was like the head of. Um, of that sort of uh, first run of podcast. So she was editing three podcasts at once, including Science Versus, um, and then it was me. Um, and now uh, I have that amazing team that you um, that you saw of, um, what, seven or eight people. And then actually during the pandemic, because some shows had been, um, couldn't be done because they had to be done in person, we actually got more producers because um, Gimlet recognised like, oh, Science Versus is going to have to be pumping out episodes, so we better give them more more resources. So that's been huge. Also, you know, travel, the tra there's a travel budget. Um, or the, at first, at first there wasn't even a budget. It was literally like, here's a credit card. You can do what you want. Um, and now there's a budget. Um, but stuff like that has been amazing. And then um, also... I guess just the the people, um, you know, working alongside like Alex Bloomberg and Caitlin Kenny, um, you know, just people who are at the top of their game who've worked at This American Life, um, people who've worked at Radiolab. Um, that's that's been really amazing. Um, I imagine your socials. Next question. Um, I imagine your socials are a total hell ride when reporting on COVID nineteen. Um, how do you take care of that team um, and decide when and how to respond? Have you ever changed your mind about how you reported something based on the feedback? Um, that's a great question. Yeah, no, they are a total spell, right? I actually deleted Twitter from my phone. Um, but uh, so have, you know, the one episode that sort of continues to grate everyone on the team, not oh, me and Blythe in particular, is the masks episode. Um, because at the time, you know, really the consensus has switched so so quickly and it was starting to switch when we did our episode to say, like, yes, you have to wear a mask. Yes, yes, yes. Like, you're basically anti-science if you don't wear a mask. But, I'm, you know, and I, and I wear a mask wherever I go um, and, I, and I think there's no risks to wearing a mask and, and, and possible benefits. So, like, why wouldn't you do it to, to protect you and protect your community? But when you look at the hard science and the studies, it's very underwhelming. Like they're, they're just not as strong as you want them to be. And we reported that and we reported what it was. But we also, 
but I don't know, but, but, but consensus just switched so much. And, you know, and we did have a lot of people, a lot of like mask vigilantes being like, how could you say this? And like, how could, you know, um, and so that's still, you know, and even, you know, the other day I did have a look at Twitter and someone just sent me like a new paper that had been published that suggested in a hospital masks um, worked well and, and reduced the risk of infection. And so that's one that I might like just check out the research. And I think when we start getting more and more research that we can actually say like, now there is research and do this, um, then then we'll do like a little update on that. Um, so uh, last question. Um, Oh, uh, Jess has said I can pick from the two because um, one's a bit spicy. Uh, I can actually do this one very quickly, Jess. Um, so how did you take something from the ABC um, uh, as your own IP over to Gimlet? Was that hard? Um, so it was It was dumb luck um, is, is one word for it. Uh, so I was not a, I mean, yeah, it was dumb luck. Um, I was not a full-time employee at ABC. Um, at the time. And so, and there was no, because it was su such early days in podcasting, there was no um, form I had to fill out to like sign over my rights. So um, long story short, because I wasn't a full-time employee, I got to keep my um, my IP um, and, and then get, got to get to take it to Gimlet. My understanding is that now things have changed at the ABC and now you do have to sign over your rights. And I think um, it's, it's, a re it's a really difficult decision for a um, for a, for a podcast maker because you want you want to create stuff and you want resources. So I think my only advice to people who are working out whether or not to sign that form is find out what resources you're actually going to get from wherever, it, whether you're signing them over to the ABC or Spotify or um, Audible or whoever is out there, like find out what resources they'll give you, whether that's marketing resources to help like really pump up your show, to get it onto other shows. Um, like, do you really need them basically? And if they're like, they're like gonna offer you something that you can't just do yourself, then I, I, I <laughs> do not take this as legal advice, but then, then that, that might be worth your while. Um, but obviously if they're like, oh, you just make it, and then we have the ABC logo on it, then like that might not be worth it for you. Um, and, and try and negotiate. Why not? Why not? If they, they can only say no, you know. Um, and then so just quickly, I'll do the other one. Um, I'm often giving my narrator um, the instruction to be more Wendy. Um, are there any techniques you use when recording to keep the energy up um, and get the emphasis right? Or is it your natural cadence? Um, I think... Um, I think it is my, I mean, I guess as you've seen from this, it is kind of my natural cadence. I do think it is important that if you are um, hosting a show, reporting, producing, um, that you do try to be yourself as much as possible. Um, uh, I think, it, it, you know, whatever, the, it's the best part of yourself, basically. Like whatever makes you, whenever you're at your happiest um, or whatever is the vibe of the show, don't try to be like other hosts. Like we've all heard that podcast that's like trying to be like Ira Glass and you're like, why are you doing that? Um, and you can sort of hear it and it sounds weird. So I think um, my best advice to people who are just starting out um, shows is, is just like when you're interviewing, just try and be the best version of yourself. Thank you to Wendy Zuckerman connecting with us from New York to chat about the challenges and triumphs of reporting on science in the pandemic era. If you liked this talk, you can find sessions from past festivals in our podcast feed. Why not try Under the Hood with Planet Money, where Robert Smith shares his secrets for making data-heavy journalism interesting audio. 
Find us on social media at AudioCraftFest and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au to keep in touch. Catch you next time.